Would you turn your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 4? And please stand with me one more time, if you would. And we'll read our section of Scripture that we've been studying. 1 Timothy 4, 6-16. through 16. And we're going to focus on verses 11 and 12 today. And it is great to see you all here. The Hendricksons are here, and the Kriegels are here. And some of them are here. They, they're well, though. That is a great blessing. And the Hensleys, the Johnsons. How many of you have been sick over the last several weeks? Boy, goodness, this is great. I'm so, so glad to see you. Sandy back from surgery. God is so faithful. So good, isn't He? It's good. It's good. Well, let's read this together. 1 Timothy 4, 6-16. through Let's read it in unison. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Our Father, I am delighted to see Your goodness to us. Thank You for raising up so many from a place of sickness. Lord, I'm so grateful for the Wickards being back here with us today as well and how Jeremy reminded us in Job of Your greatness. Father, who are we to question Your ways? Who are we to think that You have done us wrong in any way? Who are we to think that Your plan is less than desirable? Help us to bow before You because You have created the world. You have set all things in place. You sustain it all by the Word of Your power. Father, give us hearts to trust You faithfully no matter what. Thank You for bringing us together today. It is, it is good to encourage one another and to give one another the gift of encouragement in the Gospel. And we are not ashamed of the Gospel. By Your grace, we are not ashamed of it. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so we're glad to see each other face to face and to give each other the gift of Gospel encouragement. We all need that. And it gives us great joy because we know that Christ is Lord. And He is reigning in us and through us. And so, Father, today as we look back at what You have written in this book is the marks of a good servant of Christ Jesus, we look to You, not on ourselves, not on our own strength, 
not in our own wisdom or ability. We look to You through the Spirit to give us all that we need to become the church that You've called us to be in this community. That each of us would be able to scatter and be well-equipped by Your Word to teach our families the Gospel and to teach those that we rub shoulders with in the community the Gospel. And just as importantly as we speak the Gospel, may we live the power of the Gospel in our lives as we would seek to pursue godliness by Your strength. May our hope be set on You, the living God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The main idea of our text, is, as you well know, is, is this. Diligently pursue becoming a good servant of Jesus Christ. This is what God calls His church to. And specifically, leadership is in view here, but then there's also much that can be applied to every member of the body of Christ. And this next section, as we begin to look at verses 11 and following, seems to become somewhat even more specific from Paul to Timothy. Timothy is the apostolic emissary who Paul sent back to the church in Ephesus that, that Paul planted several years earlier. And he commissions Timothy, charges him to correct the church by the grace of God, through the Word of God, Call the church to come and, and, and be back on course. I just want to remind you as we read through this, do understand that this is written directly to Timothy. It's written for church leadership, but there are vital principles that must be drawn out of each verse and applied to every member of Christ's church. Do, do you hear how that works with the letter? That's important to understand that. And so I want to ask each of you again today, will you commit with me, as we walk through these principles, will you commit your heart to listening to God's Word and asking the Holy Spirit to guide you to to draw the principle from these sections that He has for you? Whatever your position in the church is, or, 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 or your place in the home, as a, a person of Christ, as a servant of Christ. Don't, don't say, well, that's, that's not my place. That's not my role. Those aren't my spiritual gifts. Well, what are your spiritual gifts? What is your role? What is your place in the church, in the home? And, and how would these principles, these marks of becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus, um, enable you and strengthen you and direct you to become who God wants you to be by the power of the Holy Spirit? Will you commit to that with me? May the Holy Spirit enable each of us to do that. So then the question comes to us, how does one pursue becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus? And we're looking at eight marks. We looked at at two already. right? The first one is what? Put the truth before your family. right? Verse verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, put these things before the brothers. And, And what I mean by put the truth before your family is simply lay out the meal. Whether it's an elder sharing the Word of God with the congregation, or a father in his home, or a Sunday school teacher with children, or a Bible study leader, put the truth before your faith family by warning and teaching and nourishing and following. Those were the things that we looked at in the text. Second, what was the second one? Train for godliness. Train for godliness. We looked at the goal of godliness. The goal of training, which is godliness. We looked at the restriction, the value, the labor, the hope of it. 
And so today we're going to look at this, the, the, the next two, three and four in the list of eight. But today in your outline, if you look at it, it's just point one and two. So let's look at these. And we're focusing on verses 11 through 12. What? How does one become a good servant of Christ Jesus? What does that look like? So number one, command these things. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Let's focus on that, that verb for a moment. Paul tells Timothy, command these things. So what does the word command mean? You don't see that word necessarily everywhere in the New Testament where, where someone is instructed to teach the people of God the truth of God. Command them. That, that word makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I'm commanding you to obey God's Word. How does that make you feel? Right? So, so we're not necessarily comfortable with that sort of terminology in the body of Christ. But you know what? We should be. We really should be. So the word command means to, and here's why, it means to transmit a message or an order or a charge to transmit it along from one person to another as would happen in a, in a military setting. For example, General A passes an order on to Captain B who passes that same order on to Sergeant C who passes it on to Private D. That word means to pass on an order along a chain of authority. And the authority is inherent in the command being passed along because it's derived and delegated from the source of that command, which is who? General A, right? And the command doesn't lose its authority along the way. Every time it's repeated, every time it changes hands, it continues to contain the general's authority. And you know what? Paul uses this word actually five times in the letter of 1 Timothy, and it's translated either charge or command. You remember as you've read through, read through 1 Timothy, you see the word charge? It's the same word here. Charge, command. Timothy is written to by Paul in 1 Timothy 1.3, and he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That was the command from the general, Jesus Christ, through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and he was coming to the teachers and elders in Ephesus. He's saying, you are commanded to stop teaching different doctrine. That's, that's serious. 1 Timothy 4.11, we have that verse right here. Command and teach these things. 1 Timothy 5.7, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. And what he's talking about in that context is caring for widows indeed in your family. Those who are truly desperate for uh, material possessions. Te teach, command the people of your church to take care of their families. 1 Timothy 6, 13-14, Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in His testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained. I charge you, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach under the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6.17 As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So Paul tells Timothy, if you have rich people there in Ephesus, command them to be generous and to have their affections set on eternal life. Very interesting. So what becomes clear from verse 1 of this letter all the way through is that these things that that, that Paul is transmitting on to Timothy come directly from the general, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, And He is the ascended, reigning Lord of His church. Therefore, every one of these things, we'll figure out in a moment what Paul's talking about there, these things comes filled with His authority, Christ's authority, and are passed down to His church. From Jesus to Paul to Timothy to the elders to the Ephesian members. From Jesus to Paul to Calvary elders to Calvary members. Command and teach these things. This is the charge that comes to us with the authority of Christ. As your elder, I am commanded to command you to do these things. Every elder is called to exercise a delegated authority as he communicates the Word of Christ to the members of his local church. And he is to command the members to do these things. Now that doesn't mean that an elder should be arrogant and obnoxious in that command. It doesn't mean that that he has a freedom to start commanding people at his own whim and will and personal desires. That's not what he's talking about. It says command and teach what? These things. These things. Paul is is saying that that when, when Timothy or an elder stands before his people and he opens the Scriptures to them and he tells them accurately what the Scriptures say, he must command it to be obeyed. Is that something? He must speak with the authority of Christ. Why? Because the Scriptures are the inspired, inerrant, authoritative Word of God. Because every Word of God is filled with the authority of God. I have no inherent authority. The only reason that any elder can command the people of God these things is because it's the Word of God. Filled with His authority. When the Word of God is accurately preached and taught and read, there's only one right response to that, right? To hear and understand and obey. Therefore, an elder in his preaching and teaching must exercise the function of command. Divine authority requires that command. When the command is essential to to accurate preach, or I should say the command is essential to accurate preaching and teaching. When an elder communicates accurately the truths and the commands of God, it's not a suggestion to take it or leave it. We live in a suggestion-rich world, don't we? Nobody wants to push anything on anybody else. It's, It's not time for emotional stories or a good joke when it's time to command and teach these things, right? It's not about a motivational pep talk. Much of what is being heard today, I would say, across our nation in church buildings right now is not anything like what the Apostle Paul charged Timothy to be giving to his people. It's very different. 
Preaching and teaching the Word of God requires the use of command. Commands can still be given with love, right? The only, only, the only commands worth giving are given with love. And, and even gentleness and patience and kindness. Remember what Paul told Timothy in, in, in 2 Timothy 4. He said, preach the Word, but do it with complete patience. Remember that? That's something. There is a great tension in being a good servant of Christ Jesus. Yes, commands are given with authority, but they can be done with patience and kindness. And our, and our authority comes from the highest position in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. That must change the way we, you and I, approach every experience of preaching and teaching the Word, both from the giving end and the receiving end. Wouldn't this, shouldn't this, change everything about how we come together in this. Command and teach these things. We're under the authority of Christ. How it's delivered. How it's received. Again, consider the military analogy. And some of you men know this far better than I do. It's inherent in this word. In, in wartime, when a general gives an order, he gives it to accomplish a strategic goal. There's a mission in mind. And it's for the good, hopefully, it's, it's for the good of a nation that he is defending. For the good of a people that he's rescuing maybe, for the good of the soldiers under His authority. And when He gives an order in the midst of a battle, it must be obeyed without question or hesitation. Every moment matters because lives are at stake. Yes? That's the way it ought to be. And you know what, dear ones? We're in a battle, aren't we? We're in a battle. We're in a war. And that's why Paul commands Timothy to to give these things to the people in this way, these are, these are vital, essential things for the church to be working together in a battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12 tells us. Remember what we just came out of in 1 Timothy 4, 1-5? There's the threat of apostasy, isn't there? That's, that's where the battle lies. There's always the threat of, of the evil one pulling, pulling people away from the truth. And we must not let the ideas and the expectations and the preoccupations of our culture prevent us or cause us to hesitate in obeying these strategic wartime commands that come to each of one of us from from the Word of God spoken in this room. Command and teach these things, Timothy. No elder must allow the desire to be affirmed by people or, or desire to look scholarly or, or any other greedy personal desire to prevent him from speaking through command with the authority of Christ. Think about that. You men who desire the office of elder, command and teach these things. That's what we're given the responsibility to do. We're called to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. I'm reminded again of this same principle in Titus 2.15. Paul writes to Timothy, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Wow, I'm very uncomfortable doing that. Well, this is the Word of God. And His authority is, in, is, is, is delegated here, not our own. 
Let no one disregard you, Paul says to Titus. These commands from our general, the Lord Jesus Christ, are given purposefully and strategically to protect us from apostasy. To promote the gospel for our salvation, for the salvation of sinners and the glory of God. We're in a war. The evil day in which we are to stand by the strength of the living God is now. That's the, now is the evil day. So the good servant of Christ, Jesus, will, in the authority of Christ, command His people these things that are essential to the godly behavior of the household of God. Now, let's move on to the second part here. These things. Command these things. What are these things? We just read these things in Titus 2.15. He says, let no one disregard you. Declare these things. 1 Timothy 4.11 also says these things. What are they? Well, this is a word that Paul uses over and over again to the pastoral epistles. It comes out as this, or these, or these things. In each verse, it seems to refer to the most immediate context. But each occurrence sort of connects itself with all the others. And links them all together. And ultimately refers to everything that Paul has been giving to us from Christ for the church, so that we may know how to behave together as the household of God. So that we can fulfill our calling as the the pillar and buttress of the truth. These things are essential to our becoming who God has called us to be. These things are what is commanded of the people of God that we must obey. We must see this whole church and preaching event even more seriously than we do. Because even even now, the, the, the day of rebellion and wrath becomes manifest in our world. These things are so incredibly important. When is it most difficult, would you say, where we're commanded these things? When would, when would it be most difficult for a soldier in wartime to obey the commands of his superior officer? When, when is it difficult? Maybe when he wasn't made aware of the command? Well, that would certainly be difficult. Um, when the soldier sees the risk and is afraid? When he has been given conflicting commands, maybe? When he doesn't understand the command, when he simply loves something else more than obeying his superior officer, I don't know. I, I've never been in war. But we are in a war, a spiritual war. When is it difficult for us to obey these things and command these things? What's our excuse? What is your excuse maybe for not moving toward obedience to the commands that Christ has given to His church so that we behave together as the church ought to? What's my excuse? What's yours? You know, I, I think it's an appropriate application. Let's, let's think about this again for a moment. We've talked about it before, but it's time to think about it again for a moment. During this time of COVID, the visible church of Christ has been tested, haven't we? Ultimately, by our sovereign God. And you know why He tests His people? He tests His people so that we can see what's in our own hearts. We see that in Deuteronomy. So that 
we will see whether or not we are able and by God's grace to persevere in obedience to His commands as a church body. These things that Paul tells Timothy to command the church. As a people, we are called to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth. Consider a few of the most basic commands of Christ to His church. How about don't neglect assembling together to stir up one another to love and good works? Hebrews 10. That that command has been tested over the last 19 months, hasn't it, in the church? Or how about come together and share at the Lord's table? 1 Corinthians 11, 17-34. Or how about just a few from even Timothy? Pray as an assembled people, 1 Timothy 2, 1-7. Learn as an assembled people, 1 Timothy 2, 9-15. Affirm godly elders and deacons. Have, uh, behave as the pillar and buttress of the truth. Warn one another of apostasy. Put the Word before one another. Train for godliness. Command and teach. Be an example. Devote ourselves to the public reading, teaching, and preaching of Scripture. Don't neglect your spiritual gifts. Practice, immerse, pay attention, persist in these things. We're just looking at chapter 4 here. So, so you and I personally, I need to ask ourselves in our own hearts, has this COVID world tempted us to neglect or disobey some of these commands? Have you continued to assemble as often as you are well and able? Most of you have. And I'm so grateful for that. That brings glory to God. Have you continued to share the Lord's Supper? Have you continued to pray with one another? I have been thrilled with joy to see our Wednesday night prayer group growing. Beloved, that is a wonderful thing. Because that is how God works in His people. That is His chosen means of bringing about His will in a people is through prayer. Praise the Lord for that. Have you continued to exercise your spiritual gifts toward one another? Or has this COVID deal tempted you to not see it as a command from Christ, but you've finagled it in your own mind to mean something else? If you have put a pause on fulfilling these orders from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ over the last 19 months, what's your reason? What is your reason? You might say, well, I'm afraid of... And you fill in the blank. I have fears too, beloved. I understand. I'm, I'm not being uh, unsympathetic with you. But these commands aren't qualified by our fear. Right? They aren't. We've all had to come to grips with that. Uh, or you might say, well, I'm occupied with this other thing. Uh, I am uncomfortable doing this. This is not where I am right now. Dear beloved one, look what Paul says to Timothy. Command. And teach these things. And Titus, let no one disregard you. And you know what? These things are commanded with, without qualification. Think about asking yourself this, this question. And, and you know what? Honestly, this isn't even a, 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 a correctly founded question. When will it be safe enough? When will it be convenient enough? Or at least, or least costly to obey? Beloved, we don't know when it will ever be safe again to come to church. Is that true? We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what's in the months ahead. How will we be when it's not COVID that's a threat any longer, but it's being a Christian 
that's a threat. You see, this is so important for us to understand. What would the, what would the early church say to us about our fears and worldly preoccupations? What would they say to us? What would the underground church in China today say about our fears and worldly preoccupations? What would the living God say to us? Here's what he says. Command to teach these things, Timothy. And you know what? You know what I'm most concerned about right now in this COVID world? I'll be honest with you. The last several months, my heart has been so burdened and aching over these things as I share the weight of this illness with you. I'm concerned about something that appears both in the context of our passage today, 1 Timothy 4, and in Hebrews 10, it's the threat of apostasy. That's what I'm concerned about right now. I'm concerned that if we get comfortable slipping away from Christ's commands because of the pressure that is on us now, because of the sickness in the media, we will be even more willing to slip away from Christ's commands when the virus is no longer a threat to social well-being, but Christianity is. That's what I'm concerned about. I want all of you to be ready for that. I want to be ready for that. What will we do then when the war gets hotter? That's why the preacher in in Hebrews 10 follows up the command to assemble with the warning of apostasy. Do you realize that's the immediate context following? That is why Paul follows that up here in in, in, the warning of apostasy here in 1 Timothy 4 with all of these body life commands. Do you see the connection in both contexts? It's so important to see that. We are called here Pursue godliness by hoping and trusting in the power of the living God. Part of the protection that our general provides to us against apostasy is, is to faithfully encourage obedience to His commands, especially as they relate to what we do when we assemble. Do you realize how important the assembled, joyful worship of the Christian body is to protection against apostasy? That is a vital connection. You need to see that, understand that, beloved. And so the good servant of Christ Jesus serves the assembled people of God in these ways so that they would be protected from apostasy. 1 Timothy 4.16 So let us be warned and commanded to obey these things by the power of the living God in whom we trust. Now, it is very difficult to obey a command that we do not understand, right? And it can be even dangerous, actually, to give out commands without teaching the gospel truths that accompany them. This is another vital piece here that that we are given by Paul. I want you to understand this so much. And that's why Paul wrote to Timothy, Command what? And teach these things. This is vital. Command and teach. Letter B in your outline, the companion of command. Not just command. Teach these things. We as parents give our children commands all the time, all day long. And they get tired of it, right? But sometimes we tell our children to do something and they stand there bewildered because they don't understand what we just told them to do. Have you had that happen? You can raise your hand if you want. Kids, have you ever been told something? Anybody brave enough? All right, thank you, Paul. I like that honesty. 
been told to do something. I don't understand what you're telling me, Dad. That doesn't make any sense. I get it. I've done that too. And because we have not explained to them how to obey the command that we are given. And I'm not suggesting that, that parents tell their children why all the time, but that can be very helpful too. I want you to know how to do this, son and daughter, or, and why to do this, son and daughter. And that just fuels and enables their obedience. And so it can be with the people of God. When the Scriptures give us a command, that command comes with explanation. And therefore, it must be given with teaching. The Word tells us not only what to do, but how to do it and why to do it. And the good servant of Christ Jesus will deliver the commands of Scripture to the people of God with authority, yes, but He will give those commands with the how and the why that accompany those commands. This is what the word teach is referring to here. It means to impart instruction, to instill doctrine, to explain, to expound. Teaching is essential for God's people to obey His commands. If an elder or a study youth leader or or a parent only gives commands to those they are nurturing in the Word, there is some very important dangers that may come about. If, you just, if you're just handing out commands to your children, just do this, God says to do this, and God says to do this, that you can raise a Pharisee. You can raise a, a legalist. You can raise someone who is self-righteous. You can raise someone who is self-dependent. Or you can raise someone who is just pounded with guilt because they find themselves failing after every command. And they're filled with despair and defeat. The commands of God's Word are essential, but they must come accompanied by the grace of God in Christ through the Gospel. That's where the teaching comes in with the command. So that the child knows, or the, or the, or the, the member knows, it doesn't matter whether it's a parent or, or an elder, they understand I got this command, and I'm, I'm seeing through this command my own depravity. Yes. But I also now I see Christ's righteousness who obeyed this command perfectly in my place. And now I'm justified, and I'm going to trust Him to give me grace. Now I have hope and joy as I obey this command. And I'm seeing progress because the Spirit of God is working through me. There's a big difference. Do you see that difference? Let me give you some examples of this. Ephesians 4.32. What does it say? It's a command. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Alright, we could just command. Let's just do the command. Forgive one another. Start forgiving one another. Okay, that's tough but you don't know how this person has hurt me. And you can walk through that. And, and you, you can find yourself, another person saying, well, yeah, I forgive people all the time. I actually like to forgive people. makes me feel good about myself. Someone else says, I, I fail at it all the time. I'm so bitter and angry. I can't, I can't forgive what they've done to me. Well, the command is not enough. That's essential, but it's not enough. And that's why the Apostle Paul doesn't just give us the command. What does he say? As God in Christ has forgiven you. 
He gives you the gospel with the command so that you can look away from yourself and your own hurts and your own bitternesses and your, and your, your own failings to God in Christ. And you can look at the first half of the letter of Ephesians, chapters 1-3 through three, and see how God took sinful people like us dead in trespasses and sins and He forgave us. And how did He forgive us? By torturing His own Son on the cross so that all the hostility between He and us was removed. You see that? And you're like, I want to forgive like that. Because God forgave me like that. And the Spirit of God takes the truth that is taught and changes your desires and your affections and enables you to begin to forgive and obey the command. You see how that works? It's a world of difference. I'll give you another example. Ephesians 6, 10-20 talks about the armor of God. We're in a war. How many, of you, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have felt like you are in a war over the last few months? I mean, you are getting, you're, there's, there's just wave after wave of hardship and struggles and trials coming at you. And you know when it happens? It happens when you begin to make spiritual progress by the grace of God. Have you found that to be true? That's the way it works. And so Paul tells, Paul tells us there, stand. In the evil day, you stand. Don't fall. Don't fall in the spiritual battle. Stand. And you're like, okay, I'm going to stand. You know, you're just, you're just letting the ice hit you in the face, right? And it's like, how long is this going to last? You know, just, yeah, I'm, I, I'm tired of standing. I'm so done with this. When is Satan and the flesh and the devil and the world going to let up? I need a break, God. And then you look at the teaching that comes with that command. You say, stand with the strength of God. Oh, I don't have to stand on my own strength. In fact, I can't. I can have God's strength through me. Yes, and he says, stand by taking the armor of God. You know what the armor of God is? The armor of God is the gospel. Is what it is. Think about it. Righteousness. That's how you stand. You stand remembering that the righteousness of Christ is yours and you see that it's growing in your life. Not just positionally, but practically. Faith. The gift of God by grace enables you to trust His Word. You have the Word of God itself. And so on. All the pieces of the armor are the gifts of God given to you in Christ through the Gospel. And you rehearse and refresh those in your mind after each wave of attack. And you're able then to what? Stand. And it concludes all with prayer. Prayer and a continued progress of proclaiming the Gospel. This is what Paul does. This is what, this is what all the apostles do. Letter after letter. They don't just tell you commands. They teach you the Gospel of Christ. They teach you how and why. Dear ones, read the Bible that way and teach the Bible that way. to Your families, to one another. You who would be elders, teach the Bible that way. This is how the apostles were inspired. Not just law, but law and gospel. This is so important for our spiritual growth. This is how the good servant of Christ must communicate truth, command and teach. Yet this kind of communication, I again say, is sorely lacking in the church today. Too few want to command because commanding can be an offense to the human pride. Yes? 
and many will not risk the loss of favor by offending the pride of their audience. Too few teach because teaching requires diligent study and an accurate understanding given by the Spirit of God of the human depravity and and a passionate, dependent commitment to the doctrines of Christ that are connected to each command given in each New Testament passage. You have to mine that out. And guess what? That takes time, doesn't it? That takes time. So many would rather consume valuable time in the assembly with stories and jokes and politics and current events and attempt to elevate self-esteem and point people to their own sense of goodness and strength within them, which is all a farce. We cannot do that to each other. It won't do us any good. And it won't bring glory to God. None of that will accomplish the mission of Christ and His church. And you know what? It will serve to make religious hypocrites and legalistic Pharisees of some and guilty, despairing apostates of others. We can't just command people. We have to teach them to the Gospel. What God's people need is to be reminded of their calling and the foundational truths that enable and empower their obedience to that calling with the divine purpose and might that He supplies by the Holy Spirit. That comes through commanding and teaching the Word of the living God. If you would be a good servant of Christ Jesus, you must command and teach these things as God would give you opportunity. That requires a regular, consistent recurrence to these things. It's essential. What did Jesus even say in John 17, 17? Sanctify them in the what? The truth. Your word is truth. That's how we're set apart. Elders, Bible study leaders, youth class leaders, parents, let us be faithful to command and teach those under our care the truths of God's words, the truths of God's grace, the gospel of Christ, so that it will be possible for us to obey commands with joy. Secondly, this morning, not only are we to command these things, but second, set an example. Look at verse 12. Set an example. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. Set the believers an example. There's the the center of verse 12. That's the main thought there. Now this is the fourth in our list of eight marks of the good servant of Christ Jesus that Paul has written to Timothy. Number one, or letter A, let's look at the reason for setting an example. And Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. This is the reason that Paul brings this up, set an example. Timothy had a huge task before him, did he not? Sent to the Ephesian church, you remember the context? He's told to warn and command and teach and all of the things here. And and one of the human obstacles that became an issue was Timothy's age. Here's young Timothy, your youth Timothy. Let no one despise you. For your youth, youth, his youth was an issue. Timothy began to obey his orders and and probably some, maybe the elders or members of the Ephesian church began to despise him because he was young. Now, how old was Timothy, you think? This will probably be encouraging to some of you. Youth, youth definitely included someone in their 30s. Historically speaking, for example, uh, Luke calls Paul young in Acts 7.58, and he was definitely over 30 then. 
Irenaeus, church father, wrote that one could be considered young even up to 40 in the early church world, right? Timothy at this time was probably in his mid-30s because Timothy was probably in his 20s when Paul recruited him for ministry. And this is about 15 years after that. In fact, there's some, there's some writings that I found. You want to push this. Let's push this out, okay? Some writings I found that in the military context of the Greco-Roman world, uh, a soldier at 46 was still considered young. So we're just looking at when that word, young, was used. So be encouraged, you're still young. But because Timothy was still in his 30s, and many of the elders and members of the church in Ephesus were no longer youth, but mature by, godly, or by earthly standards, some wanted to despise him. What does that word despise mean? Simply look down. What you think it means. Condemn. Disdain. To think little or nothing of him. I'm not going to pay attention to that kid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And the problem with that is not that Timothy needed personal affirmation. He didn't need to be well thought of in the sense of his own um, self-thought, but that if Timothy was despised by the Ephesian leadership and membership, then what would happen? The Word of God that he taught and brought to the church would be despised as well. Now that was the danger. You see? That was the danger. Those who bring the Word of God to the people of God must not be despised by the people of God because by connection, they will the people of God or the people that are assembled visually there, the church, will despise the Word of God that He speaks to them. They will not hear the Word of God from His mouth even when accurately spoken as a vital divine command and teaching. Paul told Timothy, command and teach. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth while you're doing that. God's people are provided for and protected by the preached Word of God through the good servant of Christ as He communicates and teaches to them. But they, if they despise Him, they will likely think little of the Word. And that's so dangerous for the spiritual well-being of the church. So Paul writes to Timothy, and for us, preach the Word. Let no one despise you for your youth. It's very similar to what Paul wrote in Titus, again, Titus 2.15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one, what? Disregard you. Now, the first question that must have come to Timothy's mind, and probably the first question in our minds must be, how do we let no one despise us for our youth? How do we do that then? And honestly, there are other reasons in our culture that might tempt someone to despise the teacher of God's Word. Even, even a, a child despised their mother or father for teaching them the Word of God. It could be age, it could be economic status, personal appearance, education level, whatever. Again, we're talking about qualifications for the ministry that do not appear in 1 Timothy 3, that many of those reasons people would say, I despise that communicator of God's Word. So what does the good servant of Christ Jesus do to let no one despise Him? Should we boast about how respectable we are? We start pushing that on people? Telling them about our personal accomplishments and our education and our, you know, boasting about self? Is that how we do it? 
What about we forcefully, let's get more forceful, we forcefully assert and respect that respect is required. Let's just get louder about it. Okay? Is, that, is that? No. Should we become aggressive and intimidating in our words and actions so that people feel pushed into respecting us out of a sense of fear? No. Paul tells us exactly how to let no one despise us so that the word comes from us. It may be held in highest regard. He says what? Set an example. That's how. Set an example. The good servant of Christ Jesus will, by the grace of God, earn the respect of those he ministers to by his godly example. And he must earn that respect by the grace of God because the Word of God that he preaches and teaches must not be despised along with him. That's the real, the real motive there. So letter B in your outline, the meaning of setting an example. This is how we let no one despise us. Paul writes, become, very literally here, become an example for those who believe. You don't want them to despise you. Become an example. The word example is the word used for a stamp to make coins or to print or a print to follow by tracing, or an image or a figure to, to reproduce, maybe a, something you're looking at and then you would draw it. Be a pattern or a model for your fellow believers to imitate. This is exactly how a good servant of Christ Jesus lets no one despise him for his youth or for other reasons. And as we said a few weeks ago, it's a very dangerous command. It's very dangerous to command and teach God's Word without becoming a pattern to follow as well. Again, that, that kind of hypocrisy, right? Do what I say, not what I do. That kind of hypocrisy will invite your listeners to look down on you and to despise the word and could even be used by the evil one to deceive people into apostasy. Let no one despise you by being a pattern or a model for your, follow, your fellow believers to imitate. And you know, the, the theme of imitation and, and pattern is very common in Paul's writings. I'm not going to read these texts to you. I want to give them to you. You can write them down. Just think of them. 1 Corinthians 4.16 is one. 1 Corinthians 10.31 through 11.1. 1. That's that section where Paul says, whatever we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all the glory of God. And then in verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Philippians 3.17, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.5, 2 Thessalonians 3.7-9, 2 Timothy 1.13. As a servant of Christ Jesus, if you want those entrusted to your care to respect you and be obedient to the authority of Christ, delegated through you as you speak His Word with command and teaching, then you must win that respect by being an example of godliness. Let me give you a couple of quotations I came across in my studies. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, said, Example is the most powerful rhetoric. Pastor John MacArthur said, All the authority in preaching is useless if not backed up by a godly life. When there is no pattern of godliness in the life, it sucks the power out of the ministry. This principle is not only true for elders. Again, it's, 
It's true for any believer who is speaking the Word of God to someone else. It's true of parents, grandparents, Bible study leaders, so on. As you train yourself for godliness, become someone that your church, your, your discipleship group, your class, your children can follow. And in that way, they will not despise you and they will honor the Word of God. That's the goal. But what are the areas then in which we are to give special attention to be a pattern of godliness for others to follow? Let us see our final point. The area of setting an example. Five things. We're going to go through these quickly. What are they? Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. There's our targets. Be an example. Become a godly example. These are speech, the words you say. Conduct, the way you live from day to day. Think about these. Think about these, dear ones. Example in what you say, the way you live from day to day, how you work, your activities, the places you go, the possessions you choose, the attitudes you, you emit, the attire you wear. These are things that Paul's talked about in these letters. Paul had much to say about the speech and the conduct of the believer to the Ephesian church. You just look it up. Jot these references down. Ephesians 4, 17-5.21. Massive section calling the believers to put off the old way and to live the new way. The good servant of Christ Jesus pursues setting a good example in these areas by the grace which God supplies to him. Speech, conduct, love. What does Paul mean by love there? Self-sacrifice. That's what he's talking about. Are you an example in self-sacrifice? Are you willing to deny yourself of many good pleasures and comforts so that those entrusted to your care are protected and provided for in a way that will nurture them and cause them to flourish and bring glory to God as He enables? Self-sacrifice. Be a pattern in what you say, in what you do, and how you sacrifice yourself. Ephesians 5, 25-27, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what? Gave Himself up for her. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all you do be done in love. Number four, faith. Faith means one of these two or both. Faith talks about the persistent trust in Christ and His Word. Are you an example of that? Persistent trust in Christ and His Word. Or your, it could mean your fidelity, your reliability. Are you trustworthy, dependable, reliable, faithful? 2 Timothy 1.13 Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, Paul says to Timothy, in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. talks about those two things. Love and faith. Follow the pattern, Timothy. Look at my faith. Look at my love and follow me. Hebrews 13.7 Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's how we become good servants of Christ Jesus. Preparing by the grace of God to be someone that, that others can imitate in their speech, in their conduct, in their love, in their faith. Last in their purity. That most specifically refers to 
sexual chastity with your influences. What you let in through your ears and your eyes. Your thoughts, your behaviors, words and actions. Again, I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul declares to Timothy that if he would have no one despise him for his youth, then he is to become an example for the believers to imitate in these five areas. That's what it means to become a good servant of Christ Jesus. It's central to becoming a godly, effective elder or deacon. The qualifications are there. This is what it takes to become an effective disciple maker on any level. Especially apparent when you live with your disciples day in and day out. That's when it's hardest to be an example, right? And you go back to them time and time again and say, forgive me, you see me as I am. Christ is my righteousness. Pray for your dad. Pray for your mom. Help us in prayer to become what God wants us to be. God has chosen to use our example before our children to convince them that the Gospel is true and that Jesus Christ is living and powerful. And we run the risk of discouraging our children from the faith if we only command them to do the laws of God without presenting them with the Gospel and living before them an example of godliness before them. That's how it is with all discipleship no matter what level of discipleship it is. And may the Holy Spirit fill us with irresistible longing and unquenchable strength to become an example of Godliness before those we teach and thereby make us into good servants of Christ Jesus. Now in closing, I want to say this. I have given you mostly commands today. Have you noticed that? (laughs) It's what the text tells me to do, so here I am. I'm trying to do it. So let me close by reminding you of the Christ-centered doctrine that is woven in and around this text and must become the sole subject of your hope. I hope that through these words, you are burning in your heart and say, yes, I want to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I want to command and teach those whom God has trusted in my care. I want to be an example to them. I want that. But how do I do it? How does that happen? Let me point you to the Scriptures here that we are given by Paul. Connect these commands and these verses with hoping in the living God who is your Savior. Remember that text we just went through? Verse 10. For to this end, Paul says, we toil and strive because we have set, because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Oh, dear ones, don't let that gospel grace detach itself from the rest of what Paul is doing in this section. You anchor your hope there. And you toll and strive with your hope on that, on God. Tie it back as you meditate on these things. It is the living God who not only commands these things, but enables these things in us. 
You may not feel it from day to day. It doesn't matter. You keep your faith on and your hope on the living God and you, and you watch Him as He brings you moment by moment, day by day, and gives you the strength to endure whatever you're going through. Remember, He's the living God. What does that mean? He sees. He's not like a, like a wooden or stone idol. He sees. He sees everything that's going on in your life. He knows it all. He hears. He hears it all. He, he speaks to you His Word through the Scriptures. He knows all things as a Father. He knows before you ask what you need. And He's the Creator. He's not like the dumb idols who sit there who are created by the hands of men. No, we, we have the living God we hope in and He is the Creator. He can bring anything out of nothing according to His character and will. He's the Sustainer. He's upholding your, your life and breath and everything in Him. You live and move and have your being. He is present everywhere. He's present with you and in you. And He's powerful to fulfill His purposes in you and through you. Set your hope on the living God. And, and He's a saving God. You see? He's the Savior. When you fail after fail after fail while you're pursuing these things, you know what? He, he, is, the, he is the Savior. He's, he gives you His righteousness. He forgives your sin as you come to Christ. As you're in Christ. And there's no condemnation. And He has every power to rescue and deliver you from your enemies. And you know what? We just remember 1 Timothy 3.16. Who are we? 14-16. He's the living God in who we hope and who are we to Him? We are the church of the living God. He loves you. He lives in you. He has chosen you out of the world and made you His own and filled you with His presence. Do you think He's going to let you fail? Not if you belong to Him. Not a chance. You are the church of the living God. His love is around you, in you, through you. It's His gift to you. You are united to Him through Christ. And He will not be unfaithful to His Son. And who is the living God? The living God is Christ. Risen, ascended, reigning, powerful within us through the Holy Spirit. You see how this works? There is great, glorious truth that comes and is a balm to our soul when we see the commands to be the pillar and buttress that He's called us to be. Therefore, even in your trials, even in your weakness, even through the evil day of spiritual warfare that is upon you, even in your abundance and joy, train exercise, toil and strain. Why? Because of His glory. But how? By setting your hope on Him. Do you see the Gospel for us here? It is good news. Diligently pursue becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus. And before I pray, I must say to you, I want to say to you, dear friend, who does not know yet this living God. Is that you? Do you know this living God? Because you don't know Him as your Savior? If he's, if he's not your Savior, He is not living in you to empower you. And I want to ask you then, what are you hoping in? To be right with God. What are you hoping in? What are you hoping in then to escape your guilt and your sin? 
and its punishment, which, which is the eternal wrath of God. What are you hoping in then? You know I speak the truth. You, your conscience bears witness to it. You have guilt. You are a sinner. God's righteousness requires punishment for that sin. What are you hoping in to escape that? What are you hoping in then to stand righteous in the presence of God and be welcomed by Him with joy into eternal life? What are you hoping for? What are you hoping in to be forgiven and loved by God? Are you hoping in your own sense of ability or goodness to please God? Is that where your hope is? Are you hoping that God will just overlook your sin? And everything will just work out because God is nice? Are you hoping in your own religious involvement? Or in the religious tradition of your family? Or your church? You know these things in which you have put your hope cannot satisfy God because they don't even satisfy you. You know that because they, they still leave you with guilt and, and with the weight of fear. And they leave you wondering how much will it take to make you and keep you right with God. You see? Your conscience bears witness. So I invite you, if that's you, you have not yet set your hope on God, the Savior, Christ. Turn away. Turn away from all of those other hopes. Turn away from your sin and trust in Christ's perfect saving power alone. God, this living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sent the Son to become man, to live a perfect life of of absolute perfect righteousness so that you could be clothed in that righteousness before the eyes of God if you will trust in Him. And he, he died on the cross to remove your guilt, to take it off of your shoulders and put it on His own and absorb the wrath of God that your guilt deserves. He did that for you if you will trust in Him. And He rose again to give you new life that lasts forever. Trust in Him. Set away all other hopes and trust in Christ's perfect saving power alone. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin in our behalf so that we would be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the Gospel. Set your hope in the living God alone. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to You and we have heard Your words. And, and these pastoral epistles are, are working in us. They're, they're plowing up the soil of our hearts. And they're planting seeds, new fresh seeds that are beginning to grow. And the evil one would desire to, to, to snatch them away through the cares, the pressures of this life. Please, deliver us from Him. And may we grow faithfully by Your grace. May we have our hope, not in ourselves, but in the living God, in You, in the work of Your Son. I pray that You would strengthen my brothers and sisters. Thank You that You are in them. And that all grace can abound to them so that they will have all sufficiency in every, in every circumstance so that they would abound in every good work. 
Give them joy. Fill them with love. Comfort them with Your peace. May we enjoy the armor of God that we have as we seek to become good servants of Christ Jesus by Your grace. Protect us from legalism. Protect us from self-dependence. Protect us from becoming Pharisees, people that reinvent the law in our minds and think we do well enough and better than the next guy. May we come to You humbly, knowing our depravity and our weakness, and find Your strength through Christ to be all we need and more. I pray that You would raise us up to be men and women of God that we would be equipped with the Gospel. And that we would see our children come to Christ. That we would see our work co-workers and friends and neighbors come to Christ. That we would be people who are a good example before others. And that Your glory would be reflected from our lives in the areas that You would have it to be. And that those who see our lives would be attracted to You and to the Word of Truth. I pray, Father, that You would save. Father, please let those who are listening even this morning who have their hope in something other than Christ in order to stand right before You, would they see, would You open their eyes, Father, to see the futility of that hope that they would place their hope in the perfect saving power of Christ. We pray in His precious name. Amen.